Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. Imagine you're crawling in a 100-year-old mining tunnel with a dodgy torch and silent blackness all around. This was what Sergeant Peter Buda Anderson did. He crawled 70 metres under Ballarat's Black Hill Reserve, hunting a serial sex offender who'd kidnapped a 16-year-old girl. We're returning to that extraordinary story with Sergeant Peter Buda Anderson now. He's been officially recognised with a Commonwealth Bravery Award for his courage and determination that day in November 1998. Hi Buda and welcome back to The Crime Couch. Thanks Rochelle. Recapping briefly, you were involved in a missing girls case in November 1998. What led you to that offender, Anthony James Pitt? Well, he'd befriended the young girl, the young victim, at one of our local shopping centres. He got to know her, relaxed her, um, gained her trust and faith and then led her into a remote area up below Black Hill Lookout in the north part of Ballarat and it went from there. What led you to entering that mine shaft early that Saturday morning? You were ready to go on leave, you thought, okay, it's in the bag and then all of a sudden you realise you've got to go and look at this mine shaft. Yeah, so overnight there'd been some uh, fairly good police work done to eliminate possibilities for this missing girl that had gone missing on the Friday. We knew it wasn't routine, we knew it was suspicious and it became fairly imperative that we found her as quickly as possible. So when I arrive at work at 6.30 to start my seven o'clock shift on the last day before leave, the place is a buzz, uh, you know, the investigation's well and truly underway and we're sort of honing in, if you like, on uh, an area that, that was of interest, as they would say. We knew that we were looking for a cage or some sort of uh, secure area that had been welded up to, to cover up a fairly dangerous um, mine up in the Black Hill area to protect the public, keep, keep kids and the general public out of that area, and that it had a padlock on it, and that our suspect had been inquiring about padlocks and had actually procured a padlock to lock this cage up. So that automatically rung bells for you, the fact that you could have a lockable cage and that this person had even asked about it. Absolutely. So you immediately think to yourself, well, you know, here's an area that can be secured. You know, he, he'd stated to, to the owner of the house, he was renting a room off, that he had a spot that he wanted to protect so people couldn't go in and steal his gold that he wanted to dig out of this mine. And we knew... At that point, just from that conversation, that we were dealing with somewhere that could obviously, if it could keep people out, it could keep people in. What did you expect? You're driving up there in your police vehicle. You're, what did you expect to find when you're looking at this mine shaft? Did you just expect to eliminate it? Well, yeah, probably pretty much, to be quite honest with you. 
we went up there, so to come back a step or two, we, we get on to the chap from what is now Delp, and he comes in and he, he identified straight away you know, the likely mine we were looking for. Um, it was only a couple of weeks previously that they'd welded the cage up and actually bolted it into position over this particular mine, and they had a, a lock of their own, a government padlock on it, um, and he was able. He said, "I can take you straight there." He knew where it was. They'd only just done the job, and so we left, if you like, from the station. There was a couple of detectives, a van crew, and myself in the sergeant's car, and the chap from DSA or Delp, as they are now. So we go up into the Black Hill area. There's a there's a bit of a park, a bit of a walking track, and a an area we all park sort of adjacent to this. I would describe it as a cul-de-sac. It's sort of like an am- a natural amphitheatre of cliff face at the foot of Black Hill Lookout. And there are historic gold mining era drives, if you like, that run off uh, into that hillside. And it was one of those that um, they'd identified as being fairly dangerous and that they caged up. So from where we left the cars, we followed a walking track in through sort of bracken and prickles and weeds and stuff into this area that sort of opened up in a cul-de-sac and uh, he led us straight to this sort of cage at the foot of the of the cliff's face, if you like. Buda, why did you nominate yourself to search the mine shaft? Because really, you could have delegated this to one of the juniors. You could have said to the senior Connie, mate, you're going down there, but you nominated yourself. Why did you do that? Well, it was a case at the time we're sort of there... There's the cage. Uh, we have a bit of a chat about it. Obviously, the the fellow from um, from uh, Delp looked at the lock and said, "Well, that's not our lock. Our lock's been removed. That is, that isn't ours." So it was sort of again game on. You know, it went up another step, if you like, the seriousness of it all. It looked at that time like there'd been rain overnight, and the gaps in the cage where the cage fitted, where the lid of the cage fitted into the cage. It was full of silt, and it actually didn't look like anybody'd been there, you know, in the in the last little while. It just had that look of, oh, no one's been here for today anyway, certainly or overnight. And we had a chat about, well, clearly we have to to eliminate this location. I was probably of the view, you know, there was no noise coming out of this. There was no one rattling the cage, looking to get out. If there was anyone in there, they weren't in a position to be able to yell for help at that particular time so I've got to say that you know in your own mind you're sort of starting to doubt whether or not we're going to find find our victim safe and well and um, we sort of look at each other and the two detectives are in their suits as they were back in those days Um, and I said well you blokes obviously aren't climbing down in this hole and the van crew were there and I said to the van blokes look I'll go and have a look Um, you know, I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't do myself. So, you know, you guys wait here and I'll I'll slip down, I'll zip down and if I need you, I'll, I'll yell out and I'll, you can come down in behind me. And that's sort of what got the thing started. You had to crawl into this small space. How did you feel as you entered that Mine shaft. Well, I had, you know, you have full bonings. Again, it was like there was no noise, you know, and I, 
you couldn't really tell much from the surface. The where the, the hillside had slipped down, there was quite a small, probably a couple of feet in diameter hole, you know, if you like, like a fox like a fox den hole, um, leading downwards into the black, you know, down below. You shone a torch down, you couldn't see beyond a couple of feet from the floor, inverted commas. So I had to sort of work it out again in, so I ended up sliding. I could see there was a floor. It wasn't like I was going to go 200 metres, you know, down into the ground, halfway to China. So I slid down on my back, um, down to that floor level. It was about, you know, one and a half, two metres, I suppose, I had to descend. And it was very steep. It wasn't, you know, impossible, but it was quite steep descent. And I got to the bottom and I had my trusty mag light torch that you have to tap occasionally when it starts to flicker. <laughs> anyway, just inside the, the, the entrance to the mine, there were some articles sitting to one side. Um, and I can't deny it, I sort of got that sinking feeling in the stomach and I thought, oh, we're too late. That's what I thought. We're, we're actually too late. We've missed the boat here. Did you think it was, what, items from the missing girl? Um, yeah, there was a shovel and some black plastic and a roll of gaffer tape um, just sitting to one side and a, and a mirror. I don't know whether that had anything to do with him or not, but there was a, a mirror like you'd get off a dresser, if you like, about two foot wide, two and a half feet tall with a, one of those curved sort of tops and it was leaning up against the wall. Whether that was his or not, I, I have no idea, but... Um, the other stuff, you know, it, it looked like it hadn't been there very long. And from memory, there was some white butcher's paper like you would wrap fish and chips in um, there as well. And I sort of looked down the tunnel, down the drive, and it was just a black abyss sort of thing. And there was no noise, no sound. At that time, um, I, I'd probably formed the opinion that there was no one... In, alive in there in any case um, and that you know I had to eliminate I, I was sort of there then I was Johnny on the spot it was like all your senses are telling you to get back out but it's like well we're here now you can't just walk away and go oh yeah I've had a look with the torch it looks all right I'm coming out <laughs> so I knew you know that we were going to have to search it we were going to have to go to the as far as we could go to eliminate you know make sure there was nothing and when you were there, tell us what you could smell, what you could see and what you could hear. Well, there was nothing. Um, the smell was sort of damp, damp earth. There was another smell, though, that didn't hit me until afterwards, and that was candle smoke. But oddly enough, in my head, it didn't register at all until afterwards. And I went, of course, you know, I could smell candle smoke. And, of course, what had happened, and I'm sort of jumping ahead here a bit, is clearly when all the noise is happening at the mouth of the mine, our offender has blown the candle out. Um, and, of course, that smoky smell was starting to come up the, come up the drive. But in, in that immediate area, it was just sort of that earthy, you know, it's mullet white, horrible white clay that sticks to everything. And, mm. in fact, um, after this after this search. I could never get my uniform clean. I actually ended up having to destroy the uniform down to the boots. I just couldn't get the white crap off everything. So yeah, it just uh, went out and went in the rubbish. Mm. So 
What happened, Buda? When you saw the path, you, you'd lit it up with your fairly dodgy uh, torch and you saw the path split into two different directions. What actually did you see? Give us a word picture. Right. So what you're dealing with is the first probably 20 or 30 metres were relatively routine. If anybody knows what a mine, what a historic mine shaft would look like, that's what it looked like. So there was, you know, I was able to walk up it, crouched down. The floor was relatively smooth. There was no sort of great impediment. Um, the Where we spoke about splits was actually drives that ran off the main shaft. So there were, there were mines that, um, or sorry, drives that sort of poked off intermittently. Um, but as you went along, once I got to the 30, about 30 metres in, the ceiling had caved in and I had to go up and over. So you've got a sort of a gap where the dirt's fallen out of the ceiling and a lump on the ground, if you like, a like a trailer load of dirt sitting in front of you. So I had to go sort of up and over. And it got tighter the further I got along, just from, you know, historic rock falls and, and earth falls. It was sort of become uneven. It was quite tight in places. I had to get down on my hands and knees in a couple of spots to squeeze through. And that went on for another probably 20 or 30 metres up to where they were, you know, where we eventually found them. What was your initial response in the darkness? You saw something which obviously made you realise what was happening. Yeah, well, as I'm moving along, um, if you could read my mind, you'd probably have a bit of a laugh because I was more terrified of finding someone in there, um, you know, finding a deceased person or, or a grave, if you like, shallow grave. And I'm looking down at the ground with the torch, sort of, you know, and I'm, I started talking to myself too while I was crawling and walking along. Anyway, I got to the point where there's a fairly large cave in of soil. So it created a like an artificial hill, if you like, in front of me. And it was quite a cavern. It had, where the dirt had fallen out of the ceiling was quite cavernous. Um, and there were two drive. There was a drive each side that ran off the main the main drive. And I shone the torch down one, and it was quite short. It was only about six feet deep. And I swung the torch back and sort of upwards in a sweeping motion across to the other side. And I shone the torch into the drive opposite, and it was not much longer. You could tell there was nothing in there. But when I as I swung the torch across and I'm shining the torch into the second drive, it's like that wasn't right. Just my brain, talk about spidey senses, it was like, that's not right. What was that I just saw? And I slowly drew the torch back and here's two sets of eyes about seven or eight feet away from me blinking, blinking at me in the dark. Just, yeah. What did you do? Well, after I finished, you know, obviously having a panic attack. Um, I wasn't quite like that. But, yeah, so, uh, you know, I was in shock, obviously. And your brain sort of catches up pretty quick. So it's doing a doing a backpedal. And the f I recall clearly the first thing I thought was, this is big. This is it. They're here and they're alive. 
and this is a big deal now. So switch, you know, switch on. To be honest, I I thought, nah, we've got them. This is probably the biggest case I've been involved in. So do it right. You know, get it right from this point on. Okay, so Buddha, what did you see? Well, I could see them probably from waist up um, over the rise. So there were, you know, the, as I say, the first thing that struck me were the two faces and the eyes blinking. They sort of, the torch picked up these eyes in the dark. Um, he then sort of was busying himself down below the horizon, if you like, the horizon of the mound. Um, and I don't know what he was doing, but he was fiddling around with something. It turned out he was actually pulling his pants up. That's what he was doing. And the girl was just just still beside him. Um, I could tell she was alive. Um, but she wasn't saying anything. She wasn't making any, any sounds at all. And he just started to say, it's not how it looks. I know it looks bad, but it's not, it's not what it looks like. And I swore at him and told him to get down. I said, just repeatedly, get down on your guts, get down on your guts, get your hands where I can see them. And I remember at one point he said, so this is all happening in a space of seconds, but he said to me, well, what do you want me to do? Get down or get my hands up? And I said, stop being a smart ass. Just do what I say. Just get down, get down. And um, she said to me, I think at that point, um, she said, who are you? And I said, it's the police. I just yelled out, it's the police. And he's going, it's not how it looks. It's not how it looks. I said, I'll give you how it looks. And I've got the torch in one hand and I'm using the other hand to help me scramble up this loose soil up to the top of the mound. And yeah, I got to the got to the top and concentrated. I, I sort of crawled over him. There wasn't that much headspace, and I crawled over him and then turned around, if you like. So I was sitting astride him. With, he he was on his stomach face down sort of thing and I sat astride him and then handcuffed him. You got him out, you got her out. What was her response when she got to the surface? Well, even before that, um, I looked across at her and I said, are you okay? And she said yes and then, you know, she just burst into tears. And it transpired. So I'm, I'm at that point I'm sitting astride him and I'm yelling out, I've got him, I've got him, but of course they couldn't hear me. <laughs> and I had a portable radio, and of course the portable radio didn't work underground. Um, so I think they were all sitting looking at their watches going, oh, we better see what's going on. So they picked another sucker and sent him down. <laughs> and I could hear the noise, you know, the, 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 the scuffling noises at the, down at the entrance. And I yelled out, I said, tell him that I've, I've got him, he's under arrest and I've got the girl here. Um, and of course, then you know it all erupted in act- activity. Then, and um, uh, one of our local police women, who, who's only recently she's just about to retire, she um, came down and took charge of the girl. So I kept him. I was still with him, and we took her out first. Obviously, let her out. She came down and, and took charge of the girl. And on the way out. She said to the girl, is there anything you want? Is there anything we can do for you? And um, she said, oh, I'd like McDonald's because I didn't think I was going to ever eat it again.
It must have just been extraordinary. Having found those two, found him, and then rescuing her, what went through your body? Well, it was sort of relief. Um, yeah, because seriously, I thought we were too late. And to find her alive and physically, and I've got to stress that, physically unharmed uh, was just a tremendous relief. And to be able to get her out and, you know, get her reunited with her parents um, was just, yeah, it's a feeling that's hard to describe. And to know we had him and everything was done. And this takes me back to the point I made about, you know, when I... When you're thinking about what you're dealing with and you know this is it, you know, it's actually, this is game day. Everything I did, I made sure that I did everything perfectly so that I could stand up in court. And when I did, um, I didn't even have a note of paper with me. I just stood up in court and I recounted everything that had happened um, because I just locked, I locked into, right, we've got him, we've got to make sure that we do nothing that allows him to get away with this. Buddha, what were Pitt's crimes? What did he do? And what was he convicted of? Well, he raped her repeatedly uh, over a 20-hour period. Um, he deprived her of food and water. She had nothing to eat or drink in the entire time he had her down there. Yeah, and he just basically assaulted her and raped her for that for that period until, until we rescued her, yeah. So what was he convicted of and what sentence did he get? He was convicted of, of rape and abduction and all those associated offences and, and he got 17 years in prison for those, for those crimes. He was due for parole in 2016 but convicted for a further 17 years after DNA evidence linked him to a further two rapes. How would you describe Pitt? A horrible man, really. Um, he just, you know, I hate to use the word stereotypical, but he was just the sort of chap you'd look at and go, no, 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 you, you're just not right. You know, the the issue about DNA was is quite interesting because he resisted having his DNA taken. And it was a process that actually ran over quite a number of years. And when they finally um, got... DNA, and they were able to resolve these these two crimes. Um, I think it was a case of well, we knew something was hiding in the wings. It was a matter of what and how many, really. Um, yeah, and and of course it proved proved to be true. Um, so we never saw the light of day. It was getting close to his the completion of his sentence, and um, he was yeah convicted of those further those further crimes. So both happened in rural Victoria, um, and. They predated, clearly, but they well and truly predated some of his known activity. He'd committed some crimes. He'd been dealt with by the Horsham police some years previously before he came to our notice, and these crimes predated that period of his life. Yep. Buddha, what did it mean receiving that Commonwealth Bravery Award for your actions that day? Um, look, it's very special, but look, probably like you know, most people who get who, who get conferred a bravery medal or any other type of award like that, you sort of go, well, hang on, but it's sort of really a team effort. And like I'm the one who who of my own volition went down alone into that 
into that mine and you know the team of incredible people that I had behind me are responsible for what culminated that day and I'm always mindful whenever I think about it or whether um, you know it's discussed or referred to I'm always mindful um, of those other members that were involved in that in that incident I just happened to be at the pointy end of it and you know it's a case of um, too, and I guess there's a lot of people would agree with this, is, um, you know, you get into that, you know, circumstances lead you into that position where you're standing at, down at the bottom of that hole, looking at this black tunnel, and all your senses are telling you to get out. So, you know, when you talk about bravery, bravery is a funny thing because I wasn't feeling brave that day um, at all. And it was like, what are you doing here? This is absolutely the most stupid thing you've ever done. So I wasn't feeling very brave, I can tell you. But you know you have to, you know, there's a thing you have to do. You have to go to the end. It's about going to the end because, you know, you imagine now if we if we had a, you know, if I had said, oh, no, I've had a look, it looks okay, it's okay, move on. Um, she may well not be with us today. Do you know how she is now? Um, she's now an adult, obviously. Um, look... I think her life's been a struggle. Um, she's made something of her life. Um, I haven't spoken to her for some years, um, but I believe she's got on with life. But one can only imagine what it must feel like to go through an ordeal like that. and um, It would be with you forever. You know, Pitt might have a double 17-year sentence, but she's got a life sentence. How has this event and this crime and dealing with that whole scenario, how has it impacted on you? Well, obviously thinking about it, you know, to do the crime couch today, it brings it back. And, you know, I can't lie, you have sleepless nights going over those details again. But one thing to bear in mind and I've always been mindful of this, is um, because it had such a positive outcome, it's not so much of a so much of a traumatic experience for me. Like that it is for her, but for me it, it's a success story. You know, we saved a life that day. So I'm always mindful of that. So that obviously has an impact on how you how you feel um, about it. Finally, Peter. Buddha Anderson, what lessons did you take away from it? Don't go down mines on your own. That's probably the first one. And never, and I've actually spoken to groups of police about the investigation, never assume things and never give up. If your spidey senses are going, go all the way with them, go 100%. And probably the final lesson and, you know, the most practical one is, don't ever get into that situation where you go, nah, near enough's good enough. You know, I'll just, just pop down here a few feet and we'll leave it at that. Um, they were right down near the end. And if I hadn't gone all the way, um, we wouldn't, well, we certainly wouldn't have found them at that time. Um, so I think it's, you know, you've got to go all the way, go 100%, not only with the investigation, but the physical stuff as well. You know, if you're searching things or looking at things or looking at leads or options go all the way because you never know you know you can have preconceived ideas in your head and you never know what's going to be at the end 
into the into the tunnel if you like. Well, Sergeant Peter Booter Anderson, thank you very much for sitting with me again on the Crime Couch today. I can certainly see why you won that bravery award, and and thank you for your honesty and your courage in speaking publicly about it again today. No worries. Thanks very much, Rochelle. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Catch.